Amen. Well, it's, it's exciting to be here this morning to, to lead this session. I just want to start with a, a scripture. It says, after this, I saw a large crowd with more people that could be counted. They were from every race, every tribe, every nation, and language. And they stood before the throne and before the Lamb. They wore white robes and held palm branches in their hands, and they shouted, our God who sits upon the throne has the power to save his people, and so does the Lamb. The angels who stood around the throne knelt in front of it with their faces to the ground. The elders and the four living creatures knelt there, Whoa. knelt there with them. Then they all worshiped God. You know, as I look at this passage of scripture and recognize that heaven is our final destination. And there'll be no segregation in heaven. There won't be any black neighborhoods, Slavic neighborhoods, Puerto Rican neighborhoods, Somali neighborhoods, Hmong neighborhoods. We're all going to be together. Just as the text says, every race, every tribe, every nation in every language. And, and if, if that's too difficult for you to understand, let me make it even simpler. Red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. These two verses give us a picture of the ideal that we're not waiting to heaven to get to, but we're looking to a, a, a understand and embrace that ideal now on this side of heaven you know demographers have been telling us for the last 75 years that the united states of america is moving uh, toward a time where they will become majority minority and even our own movement in response uh, to what's taking on all around them has started a committee they drafted a committee called forward looking and that committee has embraced the goal, as our superintendent said, to move the assemblies of God to 50% minority participation in the not too distant future. So, so the question then becomes for us as the Minnesota district, how will we respond to the growing diversity that is our nation, the growing diversity that is a part of our movement and the growing diversity that is a part of our district? Will we ignore it? Will we become ambivalent toward it? Or will we embrace the opportunity that God has given us and understand that God has brought the nations to our doorsteps? You know, I'm, I'm happy to be a part of the Minnesota District Council and I'm happy for the positive steps that they're taking. And, and let me say, let me make this disclaimer this morning that this uh, celebration of diversity this morning was not my thought. It was their thought. Uh, I didn't push this. They pushed this and they invited me in to come alongside them. So, so I'm thankful for the leadership of our district. I'm thank you, thankful for, for Pastor Mark Dean and, and the burden that God has placed upon his heart to lead us into embracing the diversity that we have. Uh, but let me be honest. Uh, let me be transparent. I didn't always feel this way.
For years, I sat on the outside and was critical. I was critical of our movement. I was critical of the district. I was critical of our section. And it was easy for me to pick things apart from the sideline. How many of y'all know how easy that is? I was picking us apart. I was about to say y'all, but I'm a part of y'all, so I can't say it like that. I was picking us apart, and it was easy, and I was pinpointing all the things that they hadn't done in all of the areas that we hadn't spoken to, and, and I was just, I had gotten pretty good at pointing fingers and assigning blame. And in 2018, the Lord convicted me. I remember talking to my wife about it. He said, you've been sitting on the outside pointing figures all this time. And you're pointing the figures and showing and finding things that are wrong has not made one step toward change. And the Lord challenged me to say, you need to get involved. So I start going to sectional meetings. I start showing up again at district council. I began being present at things that are taking place. And following the George Floyd murder and the social unrest that followed that devastated our communities and, and circled the globe, I was asked to join the church health team. And as a member of the church health team, let me say, uh, let me say that we see the growing diversity in Minnesota as an opportunity for our district to touch the nations locally and globally. Hey, I, I, I'm, I'm impressed with how much we give to international missions. $15.6 million. But the nations are right here on our doorstep. And we cannot, be, uh, we cannot be found to skip over the nations that are around us to reach the nations that are somewhere else. We have to do both. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. <laughs> the Minnesota District has always been a leader in giving toward foreign missions. And we now have an opportunity to set the tone for our nation by reaching locally with the same intensity into our communities and into our neighborhoods where people of color are color to people of color responding to the pain points investing in leadership and the development leadership development and building churches so this morning we want to take make sure that Make sure that we are all aware of the opportunities that are standing at our doors. To help me present these opportunities, we have joining us Alex Grant, who works amongst the Somali community, Vicente Perez, who is working with the Hispanic uh, uh, community, uh, Hang Lee, who is working with the Hmong community, Ernest Jaharja, who is working with the West Indian community, John Gordon, who is working with the African American community, and Nate Roosh, who is intentionally attempting to build a multiracial, multiethnic, multicultural church. They're all preachers, so we've limited them to five minutes. And in that five minutes, they're going to answer these questions, except for Nate, he's going to answer his own set of questions. How long... Has your particular people group been in Minnesota? 
Uh, what are the demographics and where are they located? What ministry has taken place? This is the second question. Has taken place amongst them since uh, them being here? And then share with us the opportunities for ministry amongst your group moving forward. Now, let me just say this just before I turn it over to Alex. <clears throat> before they come, we're very aware that we have not touched all of the nations that are representative. We have ministry and churches amongst African community, amongst the Russian community, amongst the Native American community. Uh, but this was the, the amount of time that we had this morning and, and we're here to rejoice at the opportunities that God has given us. Alex, come and share. Amen. Thank you to Superintendent Mark Dean and Pastor Daryl Geddes for giving my wife and I and our team an opportunity to share what God is doing amongst Somalis here in the Twin Cities. As you all can recognize, I am not Somali, but I pray one day a Somali person would be in my place. Because of famine, civil war, tribal genocide, and continual conflict, Somalis have been arriving in our city since 1993. Currently, there are 84,500 Somalis in the Twin Cities alone with an estimated population of 100 to 150,000. This population makes Minnesota home to the largest population of Somalis than anywhere else outside of East Africa. The neighborhood in which my wife and I currently live is called Cedar Riverside and is nicknamed Little Mogadishu. The Somali immigrant popu population actually makes up 39% of the Islamic growth in the Twin Cities. But the startling fact still remains. Out of the 84,500 Somalis in the Twin Cities, there are only 40 known believers and zero churches. That is a 0.05% Christian adherent rate amongst the Somali people. Our cities are changing, Minneapolis is changing, St. Cloud is changing, and if we can all agree today, our nation is at a turning point. And many people have different responses to this sober reality, but may I give you, just for a moment, a narrative that is laced with faith. As Pastor Daryl Geddes has already, uh, already spoken, we have a miraculous moment in our cities when and the great commandment and the great commission collide. We have an opportunity in our own backyards to actually love our neighbors and make disciples of all nations. In the neighborhood that I live in, in my very own hallway, I can cross the hallway and make disciples amongst the Somali people. But if I can be real with you today, many people see Somalis as a problem. But I pray today that your heart would begin to change and you would see the Somali people as a possibility. That the question is not when will they leave, the question truly is how will the church respond now that they are here? Will we be filled with hatred and bitterness and push them away and keep them at arm's length or will we draw near, come close, step in and be a light in the midst of darkness? You see, after serving in the Middle East and learning from the global church around the world how God is moving, 
moving in places like Iran and Afghanistan, my wife and I came back to Minneapolis, moved to Cedar Riverside, and committed ourselves to seeing Somalis become disciples of Jesus Christ. We are now part of a missional disciple-making team with a vision to catalyze disciple-making movements amongst Somali people and within the urban core. Over the past year and a half, we've built strong relationships with drug addicts, gang members, council members, coaches, Islamic religious, religious leaders, and everyone in between. Just a few days ago, I connected with a Somali friend who told me he is completely disillusioned with Islam, and he knows many others like him. A week before that, we ministered to a man that got shot in the leg, and his leg was completely healed. God is doing what only he can do in our urban core. Along with making disciples amongst the Somali people under the leadership of Pastor Mike Smith and Redeeming Love Church, my wife and I have also stepped into a missional ministry called Firehouse that has expanded our vision to the urban core of Minneapolis. The previous church and space is now being transformed into a community outreach center and a mobilization and training station. And it's called Firehouse because the building was the seventh fire station in Minneapolis built in the 1870s. And as firefighters are sent out into our cities to actually confront the chaos and fires of our city, we believe God is raising up disciple makers who will actually go out as first responders to be a light in the midst of darkness and answer the fires of our city. In fact... The night that we completed our last disciple-making training, we commissioned our, our team out, and that very night, a fire started in the adjacent apartment complex, and it was our team of disciple-makers that ran to the fire, not away, and actually led people to safety. However, my question to you today is, what hope is there for our cities when the people of God, the light, leave? What hope is there for the darkness if the light does not remain? As we look to this moment in time, we are dependent upon God, uh, dependent upon God and we humbly ask for your prayers. We need God to pour out his spirit, and we invite you to pray for Somalis, for Firehouse, and for the urban core. And finally, we join with Jesus in Matthew 10 to pray that God would raise up laborers. We are asking that God would send us disciples who truly want to be laborers for the kingdom of God. And if you and people within your congregations feel called to join us in this effort, especially feel called to minister and reach Somalis, we want to link arms with you. Would you pray with us for the Spirit of God to move amongst the Somalis? And if you are feeling stirred to get involved, we'd love to connect with you. Thank you. One of the questions was, how did the, uh, the Hispanics came to Minnesota? And actually the story is that in 1886, Luis Garzón... Do you like my R? Luis Garzón, who was a member of an orchestra, came to the Twin Cities. He got ill. He got sick. He had to stay behind. He fell in love with Minnesota, fell in love with a woman who married, and here we are. We are Hispanics here in Minnesota. It all started there. Now, if I can round numbers, about 5.7 million people here in, in the state of Minnesota. About 5.5, 5.6 are Hispanics, so about 310,000 people are Hispanic, Hispanic descent here in the state of Minnesota. Now, it's been said also that in the year 
2035, that's in about what, 12 years, whatever, 13 years, there's going to be 540,000 Hispanics here in Minnesota. That's an increase of about 140,000 coming in the next 12, 13 years. That's phenomenal. Where are the Hispanics? We think that they are primarily in Minneapolis, St. Paul, in the metro area. That is true. However, percentage-wise, I find this so interesting. Are, do we have anybody here from, I don't even know how to pronounce the city, Worthington? Anybody from Worthington? Nobody? They have more Hispanics that white than white people. I cannot believe that. And here are the 10 cities with the greater percentage of Hispanics. Worthington, Wilmar, West St. Paul, Richville, Austin, Glencoe, Jordan, Albert Lee, South St. Paul, and Brooklyn Center. Neighbors of Pastor, uh, Pastor Saul, you know, in the Emmanuel's Christian Center, one of the largest Hispanic churches here in the Twin Cities. So when my boss, my pastor, Pastor Derek Ross, who wanted to be here so bad, and you know, for health reasons he cannot, I hope he listens to this. If he asks me, so why are you not growing in numbers? Because Lakeville, where we are, is 55. So we're not in the top 10, Pastor Nate, but we're 55, and yet, we're doing okay. We're doing okay. In Lakeville, there's about 5% Hispanic. So I've been privileged to lead the Hispanic congregation in Celebration Church. In 2005, there was something that was birthed out of Celebration. Most of the Hispanic churches here, there's about 350 Hispanic registered churches in the state of Minnesota. First of all, my question is, not all of them are AG. Why not? Why not? But 2005, 17 years ago, the idea came to birth a Hispanic ministry out of the church of celebration. And that's not the normal model. Some of you have that model. The normal model is a Hispanic group comes and rents a space, a corner, the basement, the dark room in your churches, and that's where they meet. But that's not how God wants it, okay? So the model is out of the church was birthed this idea, we need to reach, to reach Hispanics. And again, for 17 years, we are trying to do so. My model, I have the privilege of leading that for the last 12 years. Now, after hearing about this morning, I'm questioning if that is a good thing or not, or if I have to recalibrate. But my thought was, we got to be about 10% of, of the church, and we have kept that number, at least in numbers, maybe not in ties. But uh, the, the point is, Maybe I have to recal recalibrate that. 5% in the city of Lakeville are Hispanics. My goal is 10%, double that for the church, but that may not be enough. That may not be enough. That model has grown to have not just a Hispanic ministry. It's not a Hispanic church. We're one church, one body, celebration church, but a Hispanic ministry. We also have a French-speaking ministry out of our church, and that is phenomenal. But here is the problem. The takeaway today is we celebrate diversity. And yes, we need to have diversity. But having diversity in your church does not mean that you're a diverse church. 
And let me explain why. Because when you have just diversity in your church, you're forcing those diverse people to, yes, speak their language, but to think, react, behave as American, as the American church. But we need to start somewhere. We need to, that's the starting point. What is the goal? The goal is that we become diverse churches where we think as one true body in spite of the cultural differences, language differences, the way we react, the way we behave. And I think that's the goal. I, I hope Pastor Nate is going to talk about that maybe. So I'm not going to dive into that. But what is our opportunity? You know, yes, you can recalibrate. That's phenomenal. I have a more sinister approach. If you have been listening to the news, you know that last year, a few of us Hispanics have crossed the border <laughs> by the ten thousands of people. I am waiting for them to come up here to Minnesota to go after them, regardless of how, how they came here. I mean, that's a very easy goal. They're coming to your doorstep. Anyway. So, but we do have some challenges. Obviously, we have second and third generation Hispanics. Uh, they tend to speak English. They tend to forget the language. But they, in their hearts, they want to be Hispanic. They want to carry on traditions and stuff. How do we do that in our church? Again, we don't do it if all we have is a good number of diverse people. We have to become diverse and enjoy the differences. Celebrate the difference. Thank you so much. Thank you, Superintendent Mark and uh, Pastor Darrell, for giving me the opportunity to talk to you about the Hmong community, the Hmong people, and the Hmong churches for uh, the next five minutes here. Um, has anybody heard of Sunisa Lee? Sunisa? Okay, some of you, all right. Well, she is in the same clan as I am. We only have 18 clans in the Hmong community, and uh, she happens to be a Lee, and so she's in my clan. Um, but... Um, that just goes to show how small of a community we are. Um, the Hmong started coming to the United States in the 1970s. And in 1975, the first Hmong family landed here in Minnesota. From a worldwide population perspective, we have about 12 million Hmong people around the world. The largest, in Chi the largest is in China. They hold about 9 million people. Here in Minnesota, we have 81,000 Hmong people that reside in this state of Minnesota. We currently have nine Hmong AG churches in Minnesota. Come on, praise God. We started with one, and now we're nine, so praise God, and growing. I want to share a couple stats with you of the 81,000 in Minnesota 75% are under the ages of 35. Most of those speak English. And that is where God has called me. This is where it gets very emotional for me. And that is, of the 81,000, 75% of those Hmong people do not attend a church. Do not does not have anything to do with God. And so it is my call. I feel a responsibility. 
I feel a cry from God's heart for me to reach to that group of people who do not know the Lord, and especially those who are 35 years and under, because they're stuck in this world that is between the old tradition versus the new culture in America. And God is bridging that through his son, Jesus Christ, and only Christ can make the difference. You know, I would share with you more uh, statistics, but I'd like to share a couple stories with you. Uh, The first one is I had the opportunity to uh, reach out to the very first Hmong boy who landed here in Minnesota in 1975. Uh, coming out of an airplane, didn't know what to do. He tried to, you know, he, he went through a mess and tried to commit suicide multiple attempts. He had shot himself in the jaw uh, a couple of times, committed, uh, uh, just tried to commit uh, a suicide on multiple attempts. And 10 years ago, the Lord laid him in my heart. I went to reach out to him, ministered to him, brought him into the church. He didn't want anything to do with the church. And after 10 years, I, I can happily tell you that as of uh, fall in 2021, he and his wife, launch their church in St. Paul. Praise God for what he is doing. Praise God for what he is doing. This is a guy that uh, two years after his conversion, he had built a 10-foot cross and started carrying across the, the Twin Cities. And we would go to these Hmong festivities of over hundreds of thousands of people would showed up. And as he's carrying this 10-foot cross, people would spit in his face and people would come up and question him about, you know, what, 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 what wrong have you done that caused you to carry such a big cross? And people don't understand what this cross is. And I remember coming across another Hmong man. Uh, he had questioned him and said, what guilt are you in that you have to carry that big cross with you at this festivity? And he didn't, the, Sanu was his name, he did not answer, but I looked at the man and I noticed he had a cross in his, uh, 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 he was wearing a necklace with the cross and I said, sir, I think you're a Christian too. I know you're a Christian because you wear a cross on your necklace, uh, a necklace with the cross and the guy tucked it in And I said, you see, your cross is small enough that you can hide it. But his cross is so big, it doesn't matter where you go. He's got to carry his cross. And, you know, that is all to say the encouragement of what God is doing. Uh, One last story, and then I'll I'll turn it over. Um, Young man, we we started uh, about five years ago. My wife and I started a a deliverance ministry in our basement. And... uh, you know, hundreds of people would come by, but one night, a uh, youth who, uh, a youth that I used to pastor came in, and he had saw us doing uh, deliverance ministry, prayer, and uh, speaking in tongues, and uh, he started burst out laughing, and I said, what's going on, brother? And he said, this is all a joke. This is all a joke, and I said, you know what? No, it's not a joke. This is the miracle of what God is doing in our community. And he said, I I don't believe it. And I said, well, come on a Sunday. Well, he showed up on a Sunday. And Sundays are a bit more conservative, right? I mean, we try to keep it, you know, tame tame that tongue down a little bit. And uh, he came and he said, it's completely different. 
It's completely different. It's like two separate churches. I said, well, come back again on a Friday. He came back on the next Friday, and the power of God hit him, and he started speaking in tongue again. You see, it takes different angles to reach out to different people in the same way in our community that, uh, you know, so, so just continue to pray for the Hmong people. Continue to pray. Uh, we are a uh, uh, ancestral worship uh, religion background. Uh, we... Uh, perform shamanism and the the people worship the deads and you know so it's a really complicated spiritual group of people but pray for them but our god is a great god for god so loved the world in psalm 103 says as far as the east is from the west so far has he removed our transgressions from us amen thank you Thank you, brother. I'm Ernest Jiraja, pastor and the church planter from our district, a pastor of Global Harvest Church. Our church is in uh, South Metro in Twin Cities. I came to this nation as an international student with a great dream. And uh, I was minding my own business. And one day I was praying uh, as a graduate student at Cedar Valley Church. There was a senior respectable man called Clarence St. John's was praying on the other corner. And uh, he tapped my back and he said, uh, son, I wanted to talk to you. He came to my office and we met and talked for a couple of hours. Within a week, I quit my job to plant an international church. God opened my mind. And uh, I thought I will go back to India and be a blessing to the land of India. God said, I will give you the land you step foot on. Because I got saved by American mission and my family got saved. And today we want, God wants us to be a blessing to this nation. Today, America is the third largest mission field in the world. You believe it or not. And uh, God, when we planted the church with two grandmas and three international students, and uh, one from Pakistan and one from India and Sri Lanka, and uh, it just, life was not easy. We started with $8 offering and I quit my job. It is a miracle story. It was a remarkable story. God, by his grace, enabled me to sustain continuously. Many discouragement, many challenges. A few years later, a city of Bloomington, Tri-City, leaders gathered together. They invited uh, a Muslim imam and a Hispanic leader. And I was happened to be in that team also. The city leaders, the police officials, and the city health officials invited us and said, you know what, we are overwhelmed with this challenge. We don't know how to deal with these immigrants in our community. When we go into the city, they run away and then hide. But you have an open door to this community. Thank the Lord for after many years, God has given us an amazing open door in our city. The city sees it because there is overwhelming challenge beyond their hands. What they can deal with. I tell you church, God has called it the church of Christ is the answer for today's generation to the needs of our people. Jesus said, I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail it. God began to open my eyes, open our churches. We used to think like, you know, we want to build our church. We look at other churches and how can we replicate, look like them. God said, no, I want to replicate my vision to this nation. And uh, so we begin to think different. We begin to realign ourselves to understanding what God has called for to his vision. Then we begin to see outside, Lord, what do you want us to do? And because we have 1.2 million first and second generation in our city. We have every third person is an immigrant 
connected or immigrant person. If this ratio goes, as Pastor said, in, by 2035, every other person will be first or second generation immigrant. We have more than 350,000 Hispanics, close to 90,000 Somalis, more than 80% Southeast Asian community. We particularly got open our eyes, so we begin to pray. And we began to plant a church a couple years ago, right, right before COVID started. We start, wanted to start, how do we, Lord, how do we start this action? But we begin to pray and God opened our, our eyes to plant a church among the first Tamil community. Tamil community is one of the, the ancient language that is written and spoken in the world and that are represented in our city. Even Governor Walsh, he said, uh, he set aside January month of last year to be the Tamil month for, this, uh, for the state of Minnesota. Because we have a growing number of Tamil communities are here. God gave us more than 98% of these people are Muslims or, and are, are Hindus. God opened the door. We began to start our church plan among them. And we began to be, uh, pray that God began to bring people from all four states region. Recently, we had a service uh, at 10 o'clock New Year's Eve service. People came from North Dakota, Iowa, Wisconsin to come to Twin Cities to attend worship in Tamil language. We begin to, God begin to expand our horizon to see, we begin to be, Lord, how do we minister to these people? The need is great. Recently, we got opened the door to work among the international students. We are close to 12,000 internationals in our city. And uh, we opened the door, close to 45 international students came. I took them for shopping. And one girl was standing next to me and I said, hey, uh, how can I help you? Because she didn't know, she's at Minnesota school, she didn't know what to do. And I said, how, I, I'll help you with this. And she began to, we began to build relationship. And a few days later, the, when the COVID started, and she was in tears. She said, I don't have no families, I don't know, no friends, no community, but my country sent me as a scholar student. We began to pray with her, and she was weeping. One day, she didn't have a place. She bought three tickets that have been canceled. She couldn't go home. She didn't have nobody in this community. And uh, we took her to our home. And the simple thing, we just had a meal as a family together. We began to eat. And she was in tears one day. She said, you know what? I grew, grew up in a loving family, but I never seen husband and wife sitting together and loving each other and laughing together. And uh, after she went home, she used to join prayers with us, even online. God began to touch her. When we went to India last year, and her whole family came to visit an eight-hour journey and prayed and cried with us how much you loved her and you cared for her. And God began to open opportunities, amazing opportunities. And uh, the amazing, in the midst of COVID challenges, our Tamil church is growing very well. And also God has been opening doors. This year, our goal is to plant a church in university campus. We have more than 12,000 internationals there. And we're praying God will open amazing doors. And uh, so we want to invite you. We wanna, it's not just the problem of uh, one church or the people in uh, the inner city or downtown. It is an opportunity God has given to every church. The church of Christ, we want to invite you to rise up. Because the world cannot, White House is not the answer. The church of Christ has the answer. Can I get an amen? And we have to respond. How do we respond? We're waiting for outside, uh, like if you look at our international communities, I want to encourage you to see the need. When you drive 80 miles an hour, you don't know they exist nearby. If you come to Richfield, if you walk into the streets, if you don't know Spanish, you are lost. They live, but when you walk in the streets, when you smell their food, when you rub shoulder to shoulder, you'll know they exist in our neighborhood. So we invite you to be part of this. 
And uh, so with this church plan, I'm one of the church planning uh, leaders uh, serving together our team. They have a great vision. Our, our district has a great vision to plant churches. We have more than 40 immigrant churches. We need your cooperation, existing churches. Stand with us. And uh, if you want to be invited, I want to invite you this year. If you're interested, we are looking for partners for our immigrant churches. Partner with us. Three areas. I'll give you, take you for prayer ride. Okay, you can see again a perspective. It's easy to pray for Pakistan. It's hard to pray for the neighbor next door to you. We begin to hear the story. Uh, the immigrants are now back door. They are not in your back door no longer. They are in your friend door. They're here with you. They're rubbing shoulder to shoulder. And soon, every other person is going to be immigrant. We need to reach them. So if you're living in St. Cloud, Wilmer, or even like in Ely, Minnesota, you still can be part of this vision. And uh, we come and we will take you every third week. We are taking for perspective tour. I'll take you for good curry, good food, and come and have experience. And then we'll partner with us. Our churches need partners. Raise their, stand with them. You can, churches, if you're in Twin Cities, give them opportunity to meet with your, in your church. It'll be a great opportunity God has granted to us. We are the answers to our generation. God bless you. Hi, I'm Pastor Gordon from Spirit of Truth Church in Burnsville. And uh, one of the questions that was asked, how long has our people been here? We've been here for a while. <laughs> 16, 19, somewhere around there. In Minnesota, a state of more than 5,700,000. Uh, there are about 370,000 African Americans in this state, mostly concentrated in the metro area. And uh, I can't speak for the entire African American community, but I can speak for our church. Around about 2016, uh, AG came dating our church. We, we, we decided we'd date for a while and see if we liked each other. <laughs> And I wasn't a part of that. I, I, this, our church has been in Burnsville in the south suburbs area for about 30 years. Um, we were an independent church and we felt the need, at least the leadership at that time, felt the need to, uh, to have fellowship with other churches. And so we began dating the Assembly of God and um, I guess it worked out because... But this is, I've, I've been the pastor of this church now for six years. And as I came in, they told me we're now AG. I said, okay, that, that's fine. <laughs> that's good. Um, I patterned our ministry after an AG church that I attended in Columbus, Georgia. And so um, I, I realized early on that there's something appealing about AG. And so I was okay with that decision. And I appreciate the district's intentionality of reaching out to all communities, particularly the, the black community, and uh, wanting to be involved with the black community. But when we first came in, we went to a, a, a camp in Lake Geneva, and we were kind of like the salesmen that were sent out by their shoe company to South America to sell shoes. They went to a remote place, and one salesman reported back, these people don't wear shoes. 
Yeah, another reported back and said, hey, there's a great opportunity here. These people don't have shoes. So we were kind of like, these people don't have no black people. But we thought, well, these people may need some black people. So, so we're encouraged by the William Seymour scholarship. We're encouraged by that. We're encouraged by the intentionality of this district to reach out to, to our community and to want to be a part of our community, want to be supportive of our community. So appreciative of that. Uh, I think the one thing that attracted our church is the, the success in the ministry model that AG churches have. Uh, the one thing more that could help our church, uh, the black community, and I said I wasn't going to speak for the black community, but I'll speak for our church. We've been in the part of AG for probably the last five years. Uh, I think it would help to, to reach other black communities if there's more encouraging partnerships between our churches. I'm reminded, I mean, we, we, we realize of the racial tensions that have been sparked lately, the political differences, the cultural differences. I mean, you, you guys don't even have a Hammond B3 organ. <laughs> don't know why, don't even know what that is, right? <laughs> we find it challenging oftentimes uh, in meetings like this because we don't recognize the songs that are being sung. And so encouraging bridge building partnerships and relationships that foster understanding between us, that encourage relationships and re relationships that not, not to assimilate. Uh, it's important for us to continue to be who we are, but, but foster relationships that assist in the success of, of other, other churches and communities, kind of like the relationships that were formed with uh, Reverend Dwight Palmquest and, and uh, Reverend Louis Walton and the Trinity uh, Tabernacle Church and the success of that church, how they formed a partnership and, and now Trinity is, ex is experiencing the success uh, of that partnership. To, so to form partnerships, I think also one thing that attracted us to the district is the National Black Fellowship uh, that right now needs to be revived in Minnesota. It's almost non-existent, but it gives us the opportunity to continue to be who we are and, and find out how we fit into the AG culture without being assimilated, uh, but being able to see ourselves as a part of the AG culture. So to be able to, to strengthen the National Black Fellowship to revive that here in Minnesota, I think that will go a long way to uh, attract and to appeal to black congregations. AG, this district has about nine black pastors and fewer black congregations. Some of those black pastors don't necessarily have a dominant black congregation. Uh, the few of us that, that do, uh, there, there's, the, there's the strains uh, there's that trying to figure out how we fit in, um, but we can, 
if we partner together, if we build relationships, we can be kind of like the young brother that was carrying his younger brother on his back. You've heard this story before, I'm sure. He was carrying his younger brother on his back and they were traveling. And many people came up to him and said, hey, why don't you let him walk? Put him down. Isn't he heavy? He continued to carry his brother on his back and he went a few more miles and another adult says to him, hey, put him down. Isn't he heavy? So finally the young boy spoke up and said, he ain't heavy. He my brother. If we build partnerships and relationships, we can overcome the tensions of political differences, cultural differences. As we see each other as brothers in the Christ, we'll come to that conclusion. We ain't heavy. We brothers. So good, isn't it? Just to hear the heartbeat of what God is doing in our district. Uh, I stand before you today pastoring a church called Emmanuel that was started in 1963 by immigrant couple named Mark and Shirley Denyes. They had come down from Canada and started a church. It's interesting how a church's birth affects its life cycle um, and the trajectory of the future. I'm the third lead pastor of the church now. And uh, within our church, we have 43 different nations represented in our church, languages from all over. And, uh, and they're not segregated. It's one church family. Um, so I don't want to take any credit for what God intended from the beginning. In fact, I want to draw your attention to what I think God is doing within Emmanuel. And as I feel I am a representative of all of Minnesota, I came here in 1991, and I, uh, I feel like I'm a Minnesotan in some ways. I'm still a Michigan Wolverine forever, but I, I have that in me. But I'm a, I'm a Caucasian. I'm a white guy. And as a white guy in a white fellowship, there is a sense of everybody's like me, looks like me, feels like me, sounds like me. And in my journey, one of the things I discovered, I go to district councils, camps, conventions. Eventually, I was preaching in some of those places. Everyone there was white. Now, not everyone, but the vast majority were white. So to be a person of color must have felt as if I was different. But I didn't really think about it or feel or th worry about it until I got into relationship with brothers and sisters who were not white and their concerns became my concerns. It's only when you get into relationship that you begin to see the world through a different lens. You don't even, you're not even offended by what's on the platform or what's talked about or what's missing. If you don't have somebody that is offended or has gone through that or feels awkward. And so in our journey for Jody and I, I've been on a long-term journey of saying, God, I want your heart and I'm willing to, to let you change my perspective to see everything I do through a different lens. Every aspect of my leadership, every part of how I communicate, and as I've opened up my heart to what God has said to me, 
God has revealed to me his heart. Because how many know we don't have his full heart yet? We're on a journey to discover what God intended in the first place. And I can take you back to a point in time at which I had gone through a class called Developing Multi-Ethnic Congregations uh, through AGTS that was offered at North Central as an extension class way back in the 90s. And we had to go visit churches in the city, and I had to sit down and listen to the stories of different churches. And then I looked at it, and it was more of an educational experience. But then there was a separate step where God began to speak to me and break my heart down. As I looked at Mark chapter 11, and in Mark chapter 11, Jesus walks into the temple, and he expect, inspects the temple, leaves, goes out to the suburbs for the night, curses a fig tree because he's ticked off, he's kicking the, the dog, he's in a bad attitude, and he comes back the very next day and walks back into that same temple, and he begins to kick over the tables. And when he kicked over the tables, he was angry, and he starts quoting scripture at him. He quotes from Isaiah 56, and he quotes from Jeremiah. He says, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. And the problem was, is that when Jesus had gone and inspected his house, his church, his temple, he had seen that in the place where the court of the Gentiles was, the only place where people from all over the world that were not Jewish could come and worship in his house. There was no room for them because there were tables set up in those places. So what does he do? He kicks them over. He makes room. He moved things out so that there would be room for people from all over the world. Because if you read all of Isaiah in that particular passage, you'll discover that God's vision for the temple was there, there would be a place for all nations to come and worship. Too many of us think of in terms of, a well, we're supposed to pray for the nations from the temple. No. Yes, we can pray for the nations. But God's vision was that this would be our very house would be a place where the nations could come and feel welcome and have a place. And it was as if God was saying to me, I need to learn to kick over the tables in my own life. The patterns that I have that unintentionally might be pushing out the opportunity to reach the communities around us. Systems and patterns and the way we do things that block out those that could be in the church. And it was my responsibility as a leader, at that time I was a youth pastor, Later on, when I was an educator at North Central and as a vice president, and now as a lead pastor, from the position I'm in, I have a responsibility to kick the tables over in the area that I'm responsible for so that I can make room for people to come. And I don't know how to do that. So I have to pray and ask the Lord to help me. But the scripture is what guides me, not popular movements that are in the land. And this is the challenge that we face in every corner of Minnesota today. Because in the last two years, yes, there's been amazing opportunities since George Floyd for us to have conversations we've never had before. But at the same time, our people have been fed with the information from sources in the news channels and podcasts that are directing hate towards different opinion groups. And our people aren't just hearing Jesus and the gospel, they're hearing conservatives and liberals. And they're hearing politics speak. 
And that stuff is running through their head and they become tables within them. Preventing the gospel from reaching others. And it's as if my responsibility as a pastor then is to draw our people back when we gather on Sundays back to the word. Because the word of God is our way. It is not some social political movement that's out there. There are a lot of good ones, and I don't even want to spend my time pushing against those things enough to say they're not all scripturally rooted. They're trying to get people to change and social movements to change. And they're putting their hope in everything from Trump to Black Lives Matter organizations that are all using those same people and dividing our world. Our world doesn't know how to do this, but Jesus does. And if the hope of the world could become the local church, where the grand experiment is happening, where people are, are colliding together, and there is a moment where there are people in the room that don't look like each other, don't have the same language all the time, don't dress the same way, have different socioeconomic standings. But in the house of God, that's where it is normal. Now all of a sudden people go, I don't know how to change America. I don't know how to change Minnesota. But the church knows how to do it. We need to follow the church's way of doing it. So when we preach the word, our responsibility is Yes, to preach the truth, but to correct the error. It's not okay to hate your brother. It's not okay to talk with your group of white people over here about those people over there one way that you would never say to them to their face. And I'm not just talking to them white. It's, it's all around. And for all of us to learn to say, God, Would you do a miracle in me so I can lead our people in a way where the toxins of this age don't destroy and corrode the purity of the gospel. But instead, the miracle is happening in our house. So for us, that just simply means moving out tables. For us over time, it's meant a lot of different things. I've had to apologize Ignorance is a part of it. Who else in here, you're ignorant once in a while? Admit your ignorance. Admit it. Because then you're an authentic leader and a table just got kicked over and a bridge is being built and you will draw who you love. And so if you love everyone, guess who is going to be welcome in your house? That's the dream for our church. Hallelujah. Well, I tell you, I I need to hear some more of all of that. You know, we should pray. We should pray. I'm going to invite all of our uh, speakers just to come back up on the platform. And if we could have the leadership of the district come and lay hands on them. We could have you to stand and stretch your hands forward. You know, you don't go through an exercise like this just to go through an exercise. This is not just an opportunity for us to trot something out just so that we look like we're headed in the right direction. We really want this to become a reality.
we really want to touch our community in all of its different expressions.